wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Welcome to A Quirky Journey. This is your host, Fuad Kassab, and with me is the amazing Joe Witten. Joe, hello, hello. Hello, hello, Fufu. Why are you hey. laughing? You don't like it? <laughs> I'm laughing at the word amazing because of the whole Isaac. um, yeah. Isaac's yeah. English essay with amazing used about 10 times. <laughs> it was, uh, I think it was a, it's an amazing it was, essay. It's a study on the use <laughs> of the word amazing with Isaac. <laughs> we had a bit of a laugh over it. Poor Isaac. He always gets picked on on our show, doesn't he? <laughs> he's, he's such an easy guy to pick up because he's like so small. I can really like, you know. Oh, yeah. he's growing. Uh, he yeah, and his voice is getting deeper now. So. Oh, it's so deep. Oh. Deeper than his big brothers now. Yeah, wow. Well, it's good. He must feel happy about it, you know. Yeah, I'm sure he is. Turning into a man, young Isaac. <laughs> anyway, you were talking about how amazing I am. Sorry, right. let me, don't, I didn't want to interrupt you. No. Oh. So, Joe, let me compare thee to a summer's day. Thou art more lovely, more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's oh. all too short a date. There so poetic. Thank you. That's Shakespeare. I don't know uh, about temperate, but anyway. Yeah, you're not. Well, no. <laughs> no, definitely, you're more like a um, a rough weather pattern. Like you, you, sometimes you're beautiful, and sometimes <laughs> you're like aggressive and angry. But oh, I am uh, not. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, how are you doing? You've been uh, you've been a bit tired these days. Yeah, I haven't been all that well, right. but that's okay. Resting up and trying to um, work through hormonal things that, yeah, not great fun. But anyway, working on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's an ongoing journey. This stuff. It is. Stuff it is. You wrote a really good newsletter about being gentle with yourself and if not if anyone has missed seeing our last newsletter you need to go and have a look at that because Fuad wrote a really great um little thank you know, Absolutely. You wow. a little um essay without using the word amazing once yeah <laughs> i had like 20 in- instances of the word amazing i had to edit out and find <laughs> synonyms for uh, <laughs> no it was really good and we got so much beautiful feedback from that newsletter didn't we there's been a lot of emails and messages saying thank you so much that helped Definitely. me yeah so guys check it out if you're not subscribed to our newsletter go to quirkycooking.com.au and then you subscribe and then you get an email with the latest newsletter coming back yeah. here, i think but um the idea is um don't stress don't stress too much about what's going to come three months from now, six months from now, where this journey is going to end. Mm. And instead, just focus on what you can do today and do what you can today to support the body to heal itself. And that's all you can do. You can only do what you can do today. So, yeah, don't beat yourself up because you're not. You don't feel like you're um, making great steps forward or you've made a couple of steps backwards. We all do that. It's up and down. It's not linear, this journey. No. Yeah. Good to be gentle on yourself. But if you guys are going to be in Canberra on the 10th of February, come and see me at the Thermomix Open Day. I know Joe's not with me, so, you know, like everyone wants to see Joe. (laughs) Uh, hey, oh, I promise, I'm entertaining too. Come, come and see me. I'd <laughs> love to see you. 
<laughs> but if you insist on seeing Joe, she's going to be with me in Brisbane on the 21st and 22nd of February. Yay. Um, that is the Quirking Seminar, which is an awesome three hours of fun. We've got four sessions, uh, midday and evening, 21st and 22nd. Uh, check it out at quirkycooking.com.au. And then two days later, Joe is going to be at the Wellness Base Camp with all the Wellness Couch guys uh, who are local to that area in Queensland. And mm-hmm. um, she's going to be doing a really good talk. What's the talk going to be about, Joe? Well, you know, I started thinking about all this taking it easy and being a bit more gentle on yourself. And I thought when we start off on our health journeys, I don't know about you, but I'm a bit of a gung-ho person and I jump in boots and all and I just like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it now. And then you get further along and you start going, this is taking a long time. This is hard. This is a lot of work and it's not as quick as you want it to be and you can get discouraged. And um, so I'm going to talk about moving forward gently and how to, um, you know, when you've you've been working on your health for a while, um, what's some things that you can to stay encouraged and to keep working on it and to just realize it's a long-term approach and that kind of thing so just a lot of practical stuff that i've found helpful in my own journey yeah i think that's a great great idea and a great topic because you know you and i have been on this journey for so long Mm. and i think everyone starts the same way like we want instant results. We want yeah. the magic feel. We want to be able to fix all our problems yeah. that we've you know, accumulated over a lifetime and want them fixed today. And yeah. the ability to move through life with kindness and um, being gentle to yourself is mm. so important. And yeah. I'm glad you're going to be talking about that because that means that you're marinating that space of kindness and you're going to be nice to me. So I'm very happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, when am I not nice to you? All the time. You're horrible. <laughs> I hope nobody thinks he's serious. People <laughs> always teases me. I think people really think that I mean this stuff when I'm just. I hope uh, they don't. <laughs> guys, I love Joe. Joe's my, my best friend. That's how we talk, all right? That's all it is. All right. But um, we've got a really good podcast on today, Jojo. We do. Yeah. Really good one. The podcasts are, are really coming in um, like. We, we're just, I'm really enjoying them so much. Yeah. We're getting really great content. And we're getting such um, great interviewees. Oh, yeah. We've got some good ones coming up too. Oh, can't wait about it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, just yet. Well, let's, <laughs> don't want to count my chicken before no. they hatch, but. Um, Your chicken? Re- my chicken? Only one? No, chicken is the chicken. plural of chicken. It's not. Yeah, five chicken. platypus. No. <laughs> no, not chickens. No, I think chicken. Let me look this up while you talk about something. Oh, you're crazy. What? Chickens. Yeah. That's the plural. Um, the plural. <laughs> Is it? No, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you're right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is funny. Yeah. They grow chicken. Chickens. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, you don't want to count your chicken. Chicken. I don't want to count those birds that catch out of an egg. egg. Yeah. (laughs) Egg or eggs? Oh, Oh, no. What came first? Um, I think the egg did. The hell? The chicken's very disappointed all the time. (laughs) Sorry, that's a bad joke. All right. So, um, Jojo. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, continue. Let's move on to the podcast. Okay, this is actually a really serious podcast. We're not just joking the whole time. (laughs) No. No. But um, I'd like to hear us joke around a bit, hopefully. 
SIBO, Jojo. SIBO. Ah, SIBO. I've heard so much about it lately. Really? I've okay. heard about, about it like for the past sixty. Ah, all right. Yeah, so it's coming into I mean. coming yeah. into the vernacular. Everyone's talk, you know talking SIBO and what's SIBO? Do I have SIBO and what do I do and what how do I, do I change SIBO? my diet and yeah? Can I do gaps while I'm on SIBO? Will that help or should I change to a different diet or yeah. all of that? So we thought we'd bring you some information and some light on the topic. Uh, who's our guest, Jojo? Linda Gripperich. Um, she's a, well, she calls herself a self-professed poo whisperer. <laughs> she's very good with helping people through constipation issues. Yeah, she's a naturopath yeah. in yeah. Um, northern New South Wales. Ballina. Ballina. Um, but she does um, consultations online through Skype, so you can live anywhere and talk to her. Yeah. And she was so clear in the way she explained everything and very... Um, very, very helpful. So I think she would be great to help you if you do have more questions. Um, you could go through and chat to her through her Facebook page and see if you want to make an appointment. Um, but she has um, apparently a lot of success helping people with constipation and SIBO. Oops, sorry. Don't. Is that Peppy or, or is that? It's Peppy. Oh. <laughs> Peppy. Right. Joe. Sorry, I think the mailman's coming. Alright, I'm gonna pause this. Pause. Peppy. Sorry about that. The dog was barking, so we had to edit that bit out. Um, yeah, so Linda's great with helping people through constipation issues and especially looking at the root cause and getting back to um, why it's happening. And she started to find that a lot of people were dealing with SIBO. Um, and that was causing their digestive issues. So she became more and more interested in SIBO and she's become um, really helping a lot of people with SIBO. So we found it very interesting to talk to her and um, I learned heaps. Did you, Fawad? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I just really like her, her clarity and her approach. It's mm -hmm. very much in line with our way of thinking and uh, she she's a bright human being and mm. I'm, yeah, very holistic in her approach and she's got... Mm -hmm you know, a tailored approach to dealing with the, with this with different individuals. So even though she says there is a type of protocol that she recommends, but it gets tailored per person because you can have all sorts of different things going on at the same time and she helps you out with that kind of stuff. But I think the first thing to do is to have a listen to this podcast and get educated on this topic, see if the symptoms of SIBO actually match up with what you are experiencing yourself. Or if you know somebody who is experiencing these symptoms, you can tell them. One of the biggest candidates for SIBO is people with acid reflux. So I have a lot of friends who use proton pump inhibitors or antacids all the time. And um, this is going to be a podcast that I'll send to them because yeah. um, these things are actually damaging them and not contributing in any way to improving the situation. Yeah. So she gets into that kind of detail there and talks about root cause and the um, different approaches that you can take with SIBO, the testing that you can take um, and how you should transition into a diet um, throughout you know, dealing with SIBO and afterwards as well. So yeah. really, really great, great episode on, on this topic. And yeah. um, we hope you're going to enjoy it. Before we move on, um, just a quick reminder that we have um, life-changing food on our website, quirkycooking.com.au, which is our cookbook. Uh, it's all whole foods, gluten-free, with recipes for the Thermomix and also convention, conventional methods. So if you like the show and you'd like to support the show, 
purchase a copy of our cookbook from quirkycooking.com.au or you can also buy some really cool quirky aprons that we now have yeah. on the website. So we've got quirky and loving it aprons, which um, I'm loving wearing. Yeah, such a good apron, isn't it? it is. I need to get a quirky and loving it t-shirt as well because... Oh, yeah, let's totally do that. that. And, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. The t-shirts and tote bags are in the future. We've got some yep. living synergy nut milk bags on the website too. So these are great for making your own nut milk. We've, I've used mine for years and it's still yeah, going same. strong. Hasn't broken. And um, we've got some Solid Techniques cookware. Solid Techniques are incredible cookware yeah. that are non-toxic. They are multi-generational warranty. They have a multi-generational warranty, which means that your great-grandchildren can make some cash if they break them. Uh, <laughs> um, and um, we give you a 10% discount on Solid Techniques if you use the coupon code 10QCP. So you can just go to the website and go to the shop and uh, from there, just shop as you would like. Get um, the 26-centimeter skillet, which is my favorite, or the 30-centimeter skillet, which is Joe's favorite, or there's a, a sauteur's pan and the crepe pan as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cool thing about these is, first of all, they're not super expensive. They're reasonably priced. You get the discount, and also you only have to purchase them once in a lifetime. So they're not like those cookware that you're going to throw out you know, when the mm. Start seeping into your bloodstream and all that. So, uh, <laughs> and if you if you are a bit confused about the whole seasoning process, I did a video and it's on the Facebook page. So just look in videos on Quirky Cooking Facebook and you'll see how to do the seasoning process. Brilliant. Awesome. Um, we should also mention the Gut Health Program because we do have a special code for $50 off the Gut Health Program until the end of February. And I'm trying to find the code. Do you remember what it is? Um, 50 maybe Um, we can always put that in the show notes but yeah we do that's just until the end of February Um, and we're working on updating that Um, so there's new recipes coming Um, we're going to be doing new videos so that's a work in progress because it does take a long time it took me ages to put that program together and it's going to take a while to update it all but we're just constantly working on that and um, so once you buy the program, you've got it forever. So you'll get any updates that come yeah. out, new and recipes, new videos. It's a really good community as well. Um, mm. got, how, many, how many people now signed up, Joe? In, in the actual program, there's over 2,000 people. Um, in the Facebook page community that's a closed group, there's a bit over a thousand people. So not everybody has joined the support group. So if you're listening to this and you're, you've joined the program, but you haven't joined the Facebook group, I really recommend you do because that's where you will get a lot of benefit because we have um, Elise Comerford, the GAPS practitioner, answering questions every week in the group. You can ask your questions in there and you've got the support of other people doing the program and you can ask questions of them as well. So um, I think it's, to get your money's worth on the program, you really should get into that closed Facebook group. Mm. And you can request to join on the program homepage. So head on to gaps.quirkycooking.com.au and the coupon code is GAPS50OFF. So G-A-P-S-5-0 off, O-F-F. And you get $50 off. It's a 25% discount off the lifetime subscription really really great results for um the people who are in the program we're seeing so much healing taking place uh with 
this gut-friendly diet, which is not too difficult, not too scary. We've made it easy for you. All the videos are there to support you. Make sure that you join in now to save money. Even if you're not ready now to start your GAPS journey, make use of the discount while it's there from now yeah. to February. And uh, if you've got any questions on the on the program, send us an email to help at quirkycooking.com.au and we'll answer your questions as quickly as we can. Yep. Awesome. So we'll move on to the podcast now and Joe, I'll chat to you soon. Okay. Linda, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on. Uh, it's great to have you. We've been uh, talking about doing a SIBO podcast for a very long time and we, we found someone who is uh, so knowledgeable on the topic and we're excited to have you. So thanks for coming. My pleasure. Any any opportunity to talk about SIBO, I'll take. <laughs> <laughs> great. Jo, do you want to kick off with some questions? Yeah. yeah. Well, if you could just explain, first of all, a basic overview of what SIBO is. Yeah. Uh, that would be great. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to keep it really simple because it, okay. it, it is pretty simple. It's mm-hmm. when bacteria, normal bacteria, relocate from the large intestine into the small intestine. Now, in the small intestine, we're not supposed to have a lot of bacteria. They're mostly supposed to be in the large intestine. And so when it relocates into the small intestine for various reasons, which I'm sure we'll get into, mm-hmm. it can cause a whole host of problems. So these bacteria, you know, they feed off particular foods and they cause gas. And that gas, that hydrogen and methane gas predominantly, cause a whole host of issues for the host. So, you know, digestive issues that we would normally see with IBS like people so constipation and or diarrhea belching reflux lots of bloating especially after fibrous food even Mm -hmm. things like restless legs and you know systemic uh, symptoms so leaky gut and you know food intolerances and all those sorts of things and I could go on with the symptoms but it can contribute to a whole host of symptoms for the um, host can you just uh, give us a little bit of a uh, picture in terms of biology, how the gut looks? So like where is the small intestine uh, located compared to uh, the large intestine and uh, how, how does that sort of work? Does it go up? Does it go down these uh, bacteria? What, what does it look like? Yeah, yeah. So good question. Great question, actually. And um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess the digestive system comprises of the esophagus, which is like the food pipe. And then you've got the stomach and then you've got the small intestine and you've got the large intestine. So the stomach and the small intestine is where we do a lot of the breaking down of our food and the absor- absorption of our nutrients from the food. And it's also where we clear a lot of that bacteria. And then the large intestine is where we sort of solidify our stool and, you know, we get rid of um, waste from the body. So when we get that um, relocation from the large intestine to the small intestine, it sort of passes through like almost like a backflow back up to the small intestine. But believe it or not, the small intestine is actually bigger, longer in length than the large intestine. It's very deceiving that name, but um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is where we do most of our absorption and breaking down of foods and nutrients. Awesome. So um, you've sort of mentioned the common symptoms and signs. So, like you said, it can be quite similar to IBS. Totally. Oh, totally. And in fact, about 60% of people with IBS actually have SIBO. 
So how will they know? <laughs> so a breath test, 100%, because, you know, you could be stabbing in the dark, yeah. but I think, you know, the gold standard at the moment, and none of the tests are really perfect, but the gold standard at the moment is the hydrogen breath test, which mm-hmm. is used for SIBO. And that tests for um, if there's hydrogen or methane present. And these particular gases are only really produced by bacteria. They're not produced by the human itself. Um mm-hmm. So it's a really good way to indicate if someone has SIBO. And the, and the importance for someone to test, I think it's really important. Which, because, wonder, yeah. Totally, because the actual treatment for both of these different types of gases is very different. Right. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. And you also want to make sure, obviously, that there's and, – and what I will say, and we'll probably get into this a little bit later, that SIBO is often not the only thing that's going on. Usually it's a secondary condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's and there's many reasons why you would get tested, but I think with IBS, if you're you've tried multiple things to really get on top of your digestive symptoms in particular, and it's not getting anywhere, then I would look at get you know look at getting a test just to eradicate that likelihood. So you can just you know look at um, treating the symptoms, but also treating the bacteria in the small intestine and looking at preventing a relapse of um, SIBO because it is very likely that SIBO can relapse if you don't deal with the actual driver to why it's happening. And do you get the test through your doctor? Uh, some doctors can get it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Um, you're obviously, your health practitioner can advise you on where to get the test done, but certain companies like SIBO test dot com by dr narala jacobi she's actually got um those tests available on her website and she uses the gold standard quintron testing method so patients can actually go and get that test themselves but what i yeah it's excellent but what i would do is i would get a practitioner to interpret the results because it can look like just graphical jargon and then they can actually just advise you on you know treatment or if there's if it's not present let's look at what else might be going on so looking at the small intestine and the bacteria that grows in it and we're saying like it's a a SIBO like it's it says small intestinal bacterial overgrowth does that mean that this is bacteria that is normally there but there's too much of it or is it a different type of bacteria that's coming in what's going on inside this small yeah intestine? yeah so it's so it's actually no it is normal bacteria but the bacteria doesn't belong in the small intestine so it actually belongs in the large intestine so the problem here is that it's translocated so it's relocated into the small intestine where it's not designed to be Okay, so this is not particularly virulent bacteria, so it's not actually bad for us in, in our biology, but it's just where it lives now, it's causing problems. Is that... Totally, yes. Okay. So the problem lies in the fact that they're actually good bacteria, but they're in the wrong place and the small intestine is not equipped to handle a large amount of bacteria and then that can cause a whole host of issues in the body. Does the small intestine usually have some kind of defense mechanism around this to, to stop this from happening? And does that kind of get impaired in some way and that's why SIBO happens? Or, yeah, I'm interested um, to know how it, why, why does it happen? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, there's so many causes. I love getting into the causes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, it's, and it's a forever evolving topic as well. So SIBO, there's just stuff that we learn more and more about mm. all the time. Um, yeah. So there's... A few ways in which we get rid of bacteria, absolutely. So, you know, enzymes, your pancreatic enzyme, the enzymes that live in the brush border of the Mm -hmm. small intestinal lining, 
and also things like bile from the liver and gallbladder. So they are outside of helping really break down foods, they're quite antibacterial and they're also, they help to reduce the growth of particular bacteria too. So I guess some of the causes, some of the known causes that we know of um, driving SIBO conditions is things like food poisoning or gastroenteritis. Gastroenteritis. Let's try to say that a few times. Yeah, so, three times very quickly. Yeah. So <laughs> basically what happens there, which is really fascinating, is that if we have an infection of some sort, our immune system creates this response and it produces this, what they call the anti-CTB, oh, I don't even know the word of it, to be honest, silo, <laughs> uh, I won't even try to say it. But um, so it mounts this response to the particular infection, but this particular um, uh, response, it can actually affect the ICC, which is the interstitial um, cells of Kajal. And so basically what they do is that they really, they work with the vinculin protein that's found in the small intestinal lining. And that particular protein helps with the movement in the small intestine. And that movement is called the cleansing wave. It's called the migrating motor complex. And that cleansing wave helps to move bacteria through. So when we are, you know, we have about a food poisoning or gastroenteritis and we haven't felt well since, there might be something like that going on where the migrating motor complex has been damaged so the removal of bacteria has been compromised which then just allows for bacteria to overgrow in that particular area because everything slows down and it's not being removed as it should be Okay, because so think, like the think, peristalsis of the gut is that like the, the yeah, yeah absolutely okay. and and yeah yeah so in the large intestine we call it the, the peristalsis in the mm. small intestine we're focusing on more that migrating motor complex okay, and then right. mmc the cleansing wave okay. um and things are, are a bit slower in the large intestine because that allows for that growth of bacteria but that's where it's supposed to be mm. in the small intestine and in, in the stomach it moves a little bit quicker so that's mm. one of the causes that's that's one of the main causes the food poisoning or gastroenteritis so guaranteed if someone's sort of had a, a big bowel of food poisoning a long time ago and they just haven't felt well since and they've had all, a whole host of digestive systems symptoms since and maybe some other neurological stuff, then I'd look into SIBO. The right. other thing can be if there's something, say, anatomic, anatomical or structural going on. So if there's, um, if there's been a surgery to the abdomen of some sort or a, like a you know, removal of the gallbladder or, yeah, um, you know, caesarean, all that sort of stuff, lap, lap, laparoscopy, try oh, to say really? those words. Get, yeah, so all of these things, anything that can kind of interfere with the anatomy or structure that's around a lot that of area, hundred <laughs> percent. And oh you know goodness. what? About five. Last I checked, five hundred eight million people suffer worldwide with SIBO. Wow. How so huge is that? The diagnosed ones as well, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and do some people just have it in a small way, and they just think it's well, it's just me. I'm always gassy or something. Do they just and not you know. Love? That just goes with health, doesn't it, though? Like I see yeah. that all the time where people yeah. have just sort of put up with it up for with so that. many years. Oh, yes, I've had constipation or, yes, I've had bloating. Yeah, yeah. So, and there's different levels. You'll see um, if people have really high levels of particular gases in uh, their SIBO test, they might be getting, like, more 
severe symptoms than someone that may not be. And depends yeah. on what type of gas, because methane, if that's high, will tend towards more constipation. But it's not that black and white. Sometimes high methane can cause loose bowel movements and hydrogen's more looser bowel movements. And I guess just to, to cap off the last, um, I guess, the last sort of reason that someone could get SIBO would be like an impaired functional physiology. So as I mentioned, you know, you've um, bacteria is killed in the small intestine and that sort of stuff with a good production of, you know, hydrochloric acid and enzymes and that sort of thing. So if there's anything interfering with that, so certain medications like proton, mm. proton pump inhibitors is huge, antacids, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, oh, really? Any, yeah, So huge. that means people could be making it worse by taking oh, it. Oh, totally, totally. Oh, it's, yeah. it's a bit of a biggie. And, you know, mm. any sort of alterations in bowel flow and, you know, Can, can we focus a little problems. bit on that? Because that's, that's like GERD and acid reflux and the, the standard treatment is uh, antacids and... I know. So, so maybe zoom in on that and just tell us why that's a problem. Yeah, well, as I mentioned, it, it is one of the ways that, as I mentioned, that the, one of the ways that we remove bacteria swiftly mm. and efficiently in the small intestine is through, you know, those bacteriostatic and bacteriocidal sort of nutrients. And all that means is that they're able to remove bacteria and they're able to reduce the growth and the reproduction. And that's hydrochloric acid, you know, produced from the stomach. That's, you know, your pan pancreas producing certain enzymes, the brushboard enzymes um, that are produced from the small intestinal lining, you know, um, bile, which is outside of helping us break down you know, um, fats, it's also really good as an antimicrobial too. So, um, and that's the problem with things like um, uh, reflux. Often, you know, it, it is caused by something, a low stomach acid rather than a high stomach acid. And so I wonder sometimes how much of these medications are kind of needed. And, you know, they could be doing themselves a dis disservice. But other, other medications as well can really interfere with, um, you know, narcotics and op anything like opioids and that sort of stuff because they can kind of um, damage the muscles and the nerves in the, you know, the lining of the small intestine. And so anything that's going to really compromise that function of the cleansing wave in the small intestine that helps to um, push on bacteria through. Linda, I remember maybe five, six years ago, I, um, I follow a, a naturopath called Chris Cresser online. Yes. It's really good. And he talks about SIBO a lot. And he talks about how, you know, low hydrochloric acid is contributing to acid reflux and it affects like the sphincter function so that the acid actually goes back up to uh, basically the, through the esophagus and then you feel it. Uh, burning you and he says that um, quite often it's needed that you should add or supplement with hydrochloric acid and that kind of scares people off because I've got a few friends with yes. uh, acid reflux and they go what do you mean I'm already I've got enough acid you want me to take more hydrochloric acid and that's yeah. going to make the symptoms worse so yeah. um, what what does that kind of I know there's many different ways of treating uh, SIBO and we'll get into all these different ways a little bit later, but maybe the hydrochloric acid aspect can, can be focused on a little bit here and just tell us how sort of it might help control this reflux um, as opposed to the, um, what sounds like a really good idea is to neutralize the, you know, the acid as, as it comes up, but no, we're saying that we should have more of it. Can you just talk a little mm -hmm. bit more about that? 
Yeah, and and it's and is it necessarily a case of more or just having it in the right amounts? Right. Yeah. You know. Um, so I think um, what I will say about you know those those digestive aids and support um, with SIBO treatment, you may want to look at either bringing those in uh, straight away or waiting towards the end, where we really look at uh, prevention. Of, and maintenance, um, because otherwise they're just there's too many things to focus on. But there's certainly, you know, uh, gentler supplements that you can sort of start taking um, that really support the production of um, hydrochloric acid. But okay. I guess the only way to know, um, and I was listening to Alison Seebecker, who's a bit of a queen in SIBO, uh, <laughs> talk about um, talk about this, and because someone had asked a very similar question, and she said, look it's hard to know whether someone has low or high unless you actually get um, the test done. There's a specific mm-hmm. test done, which I don't really know the name of, to be honest. But um, if someone's really concerned that they'd be taking something that's going to promote hydrochloric acid, I would suggest to them um, just to get that test done so they know for sure and just educate people um, around why it's important to have good levels of hydrochloric, sufficient levels of hydrochloric acid for, for more the breaking down of foods and, and definitely for, you know, that antibacterial, antimicrobial component of it. Um, yeah. So, so um, this small intestinal motility seems to be one of the bigger factors really and the ones that you'd sort of look at first to support the movement so that that kind of wave movement is performing well and then things are moving correctly and then that controls the bacteria and does that mean that um there's not a specific population of people or like some genetic predisposition to this it's just that physiological uh i guess movement gets impaired in all sorts of different people many ways okay right okay so there's not just like a, a specific segment of people or genetic something like that is there any to be honest i'm not aware of a a genetic predisposition um but you know having said that as well there are so many conditions that can either be driving SIBO or can be um you know in concurrency with Mm. SIBO like at the same time you might be experiencing things like hypothyroidism or diabetes or whatever it might be for various reasons so you know in that instance indirectly people may have a genetic predisposition to some of those things um, but not specifically for uh, that I'm aware of that in not specifically a genetic problem with the um, MMC for want of a better word but um, yeah yeah but so, I mean, there is there, there's so many things that can be done to support SIBO and to get on top of it. Um, yeah. And you mentioned like those uh, things like diabetes and low thyroid and these sort of like um, in many cases, these are autoimmune issues for people. Um, yep. Yep. I, do you see in your practice a lot of crossover? So people who have SIBO start exhibiting autoimmune symptoms or things like that. What's oh, your, I see your... that. I see that with every single patient I get. There's oh, rarely yeah. just one thing going on. Like there rarely is. There's mm. often, you know, it's it's a process of, um, uh, you know, starting somewhere and starting with, you know, and I don't want to use protocol, but it's good to have a system and then you obviously tweak it for who's in front of you and that you yeah. will always tweak it, tweak it for who's in front of you, but yeah. you have to start somewhere and you'll often find if, say, if you're starting with um, supporting the overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine, you're going to be helping them improve their uptake of nutrients like fat-soluble yeah. vitamins because you can imagine if, 
your um, bile acids have been impaired, then you're not going to be able to break down uh, fats well. So that means you're not going to be able to break down and absorb those fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin A, D and E, which are hugely important for gut function as well as the immune system and, you know, brain function as well and other sort of nutrients you might commonly find compromised because someone has SIBO is things like your B vitamins, like B12 and, um, you know, iron and that sort of thing. So I think it's a good place to start because you'll start to get people absorbing nutrients better. So therefore other symptoms and signs may kind of fall away a little bit or reduce and then you move on to the next. I think, you know, it's very rare that I'll see someone that I don't suspect has got more than just, as I said, SIBO is quite often like a secondary condition. There's often other things going on. Um, so it's a process of just peeling off the layers of onion like there really is. And, um, yeah, and, and I just often start with obviously gut health because that's just something mm. that I am absolutely passionate about and I often find that you know um, brain health is supported by it and you know hormonal health and all that sort of stuff and so I think it's a good place to start and then you kind of start working on those other subtle things or those other things that might be going on. Do you think that this has really become more prevalent in the late like lately? I've just suddenly heard about it so much but I don't know if it's just because we know about it now or is it our diet or what is it? Or has it been here for a, quite a while? Like yeah. we don't um, look. I think there are so many. There are so many factors that contribute to to SIBO. Like maybe it has been around for a, like quite a while. I think um, certainly the medication, medications, mm. the levels of stress maybe has incre- increased for a lot of people. So if someone's in that sympathetic dominance, it's going to be affecting mm. that, their, um, you know, the parasympathetic nervous system. So that vagus nerve that really supports digestion and, and mm. all that sort of stuff. So I think, you know, definitely environmental, definitely stress, definitely medications that may be increasing over the years. But, you know, it, it is just something that we've, I guess that's forever the case with mm. the health industry, constantly finding new conditions, you're constantly finding new <laughs> ways to treat it. You know, if, if <laughs> you const- it's constantly evolving, you know, if, you, okay. if we've labelled IBS, IBS for a long time, but then people Who weren't knows? getting better, then there's yeah. this element of SIBO. Yeah. yeah. So there's just that, and I, guess um, if I don't know if so I really much... answered that question. No, you did. I think I was thinking if it's so much related to gut health, um, you know, the last few generations, gut health has sort of gone downhill with all the the stresses and the toxins and the, you know, lack of good mm. nutrients and food and all of that kind of thing. So I guess that could be, I was just wondering if that could be, you know, affecting it. Totally, totally. Environmental and stress, yes, absolutely. So with, with the... Yep. Uh, what we call dysbiosis or when bacterial... Um, populations go out of balance within the large intestine. Um, this is quite often attributed to maybe antibiotic use or something like that. Is it the same for SIBO? Does, do antibiotics cause problems there too? Uh, you know what? Sometimes antibiotic use for an unrelated condition, like not SIBO, can make someone feel better, and that's a bit of a sign that you may have SIBO. Um mm-hmm. 
can it I look antibiotic use medications absolutely in gen, in general can really disrupt loads of systems in the body so I'd hazard a guess and say yes um, definitely as I mentioned those things that that affect mm. affect hydrochloric acid production like your proton pump inhibitors you know um, antacids and that sort of stuff uh, and opioids and, and narcotics anything that's going to disrupt that as mm. well as anything that's going to disrupt the nervous system and muscular uh, function in the small intestine. Um, what I will, it's probably a good time to get into the treatment actually, because we talk a little bit about antibiotics and because um, it's quite a fascinating area, the treatment of SIBO. Because yeah. um, we always see SIBO as being, I guess, or not SIBO, antibiotics as, as being quite a bad thing. And often it is, certain types are quite negative, they have a negative impact on our health. Whereas there are few ways that you can actually treat SIBO. So the we what we the three main areas of what we want to do with treatment is we want to obviously treat the symptoms. We want to help someone feel better. We want to treat the bacteria, and we want to prevent a relapse. Mm -hmm. So we want to treat the driver, and the that first line of treatment is that antimicrobial stage and you can do that in three ways so the first one not the first one they don't get really go in any order you just choose whatever whatever is relevant for the person in front of you um, but you can go the natural antimicrobial route and so that's various um, herbs like berberine containing herbs you know allicin containing herbs and that's just a component from garlic there's you know neem and there's oregano and then you've got um, your your pharmaceutical antibiotics and that's generally what's being used is rifaximin mm -hmm. as well and it depends on the type of gas so rifaximin um, if it's hydrogen if it's methane then you're going to need to use two the rifaximin and the neomycin or metronidazole for some people but what i will say here is rifaximin there's been many many studies that show that it actually acts as a eubiotic. So it's actually beneficial to our mm. flora. Yeah, and it does. The beauty of rifaximin is that it doesn't cause antibiotic resistance and it doesn't often cause yeast overgrowth because that's sometimes the problem with these antibiotics. That we will then have an overgrowth of fungus, like we'll you know, have thrush or we might have oral, oral thrush or vaginal thrush or whatever it might be um, because of the use of the antibiotics and because we're eradicating the bacteria. And um, so there are some benefits to taking rifaximin and it, it doesn't um, get into the system. So it doesn't cause systemic symptoms. Now the neomycin, um, it is localised to the small intestine and the large intestine, but it does come across things like your antibiotic resistance. Mm. So what I will say is that, and then you've got the, uh, stop me if, you, if I'm going too fast, I just get a little bit mm. excited. <laughs> So the third one is the elemental diet. And so that's basically like a uh, powdered form meal replacement. So for about two to three weeks, generally 14 days, but if you need an extra week, and that will depend on your retest, you, you may need to go three weeks. And that's just a basic formula of amino acids, um, a sugar component, so your you know glucose or maltodextrin and or maltodextrin, and a fat component like um, MCT, and then vitamins and minerals. And the idea of the elemental diet is that you're actually feeding the host without feeding the bacteria. So you're starving the bacteria, but you're getting nutrition to the host. And 
it, the problem with Elemental is that um, it doesn't taste great. And, you know, there, there is a, and it can be prone to things like die-off reactions and everything. And in general, when you're treating um, microbes, you can tend towards a bit of die-off depending on the person, depending on the uh, level of severity of the gas and that sort of thing. So, so those are the three main treatments. die and they release some toxins in the body and then... Totally, yes, okay. yeah, yeah. So mainly when the bacteria is killed off, those bacterial cell walls, like the fragments, are just sort of floating around in the body and they can... Um, um, release things like LPS, lipopolysaccharides and endotoxins, which okay. can become, of course, systemic problems like leaky gut and food intolerances and make someone feel nauseous and unwell and that sort of stuff. So, you know, we generally do like to tell people to expect a little bit of it. Otherwise, they'll just throw in the towel and not continue mm-hmm. on. Um, sometimes it might only last for about, you know, three days, or but sometimes it can last for the entire duration everyone is so different so their response is very different um to these things sorry go i just want to say with that with the powder it's not completely a meal replacement is it it is actually no it is it's got your macro and what was that so if it's like two or three weeks that's all you have that is all you have all your meals I know, I know, but the I'm I'm very fascinated by that by it because I haven't personally used it on a patient yet. It's there's only um, it's not readily available in Australia. There's some places that do do it. It's a little bit tricky to get. You can make your own. Alison Seebecker has got her own um, formula online, but I don't personally. I think it's a bit too fiddly for patients, and it's not been tested, I guess. And so you want something that's sort of a, um, a formula that's specific for that. But the beauty of elemental diet is that it works really, really well. So with some of the treatments that we do with SIBO, what's quite common that we see in a retest is that um, their levels will drop. This will probably mean nothing to anyone, but you'll see the difference when I compare it to the elemental diet. So um, when we retest, we'll often see their levels of a particular gas drop by maybe 30 parts per million. But if you look at the elemental diet, Alison Seebaker has actually seen up to 150 parts per million dropped in the levels of gas. So it's really effective, but and it's hard work, but those that have done it have said that they would do it again because they've had reduction in symptoms and they've had great results. So, But again, all of these three ways of treating will depend on the person in front of you. And it really, and it's a matter of, okay, we're going to retest after four to six weeks. Has the levels of um, gas gone down? If not, you know, uh, do we need to move to another form of antimicrobial? Do we, is the person reacting, getting lots of die off? Maybe we need to move to rifaximin. Like this, it's just really working with the person that's in front of you and seeing how they're responding and um, going with that. Uh, I'll try to get a, a sort of a large picture of what's going on with, with this treatment to see. So you, you're you trying to uh, firstly reduce the count of the bacteria in the small intestine so that it doesn't cause all that gas and then the gas is actually causing all the, these symptoms and also you're trying to manage the die-off so that the host or the human being who's actually experiencing this problem isn't yep. reacting badly to uh, what's going on and the, the quality of life isn't badly affected and then during that time of treatment whether it's on the antibiotics or um, the diet uh, with the meal replacement the the bacterial count is certainly going to drop in some way or another 
But then you're saying the relapse is going to become an issue because we, we're looking at a motility issue in the small intestine and it doesn't yes. correctly anyway. So then how do we address that? And, and one particular question I have around this is that we know that uh, celiacs have a, a high percentage of them have uh, yes. And um, we know that, for instance, gluten is a, a problem when it comes to the motility of the gut and it affects it really badly. Uh, yes. so, so then when what do we do in terms of ensuring that uh, people's gut movement goes back to normal yeah. and what yeah. kind of diet does it look like afterwards? And thank you for bringing that up because it's not just the supplemental or um, medication that we take. The diet is a huge part of it. And, you know, there's various diets that can be used for SIBO. And I'll get into the prevention. It'll all tie in. But with the diet, the one that I particularly like to use, because there are a number of ones, you know, you can use the SIBO-specific food guide, which was, guide, which was developed by Alison Seebecker. The one I like to use is the SIBO biphasic diet. And it's incorporating Alison Seebecker's um, specific food guide um, with low FODMAP, but it's also just it got a phasic approach. And I'll go into that in a moment because it's really important. Then there's others. There's, you know, the simple low FODMAP diet, but I would recommend people tweak it because there's certain things in there that I'd still remove. Um, and, you know, yes, you can do the, the GAPS diet, but I, again, I would tweak it to remove those things that people might potentially be um, reacting to, like onions and garlic and um, broth made with the, the cartilage. So there's various things that you'd want to tweak for that person. So that's why I just find the biphasic diet really simple to use for a SIBO uh, patient. And how that works is that if you suspect SIBO in someone, you pop them on the first stage, the first phase of the biphasic diet, which is simply removing those particular foods that are quite fermentable and that these um, particular bacteria in the small intestine generally feed on. It's their fuel. So we're removing those things. And as you can imagine, we're removing those um, uh, you know, fibrous vegetables, we're removing some fruits, um, you know, dairy, gluten, of course, grains, all that sort of stuff. And the purpose of doing this while they're going off to get treated is we get them started on starving the bacteria. But this also helps prevent a lot of the die off that may happen um, whilst we do treatment. So they're going to start to feel better and they're going to start to, to work on the diet. And then we move them on. When we're actually treating the overgrowth, we want to incorporate a little bit of these, you know, um, this fuel for the bacteria because we want to be able to lure them out to kill them. But we're not going to be bringing in grains. We're not going to be bringing in, um, uh, you know, those things that can be quite um, aggravating for someone's gut lining and integrity, but also act as fuel. So we go gentle with what we increase and then we get them to stay on that particular phase for a period of, you know, four to six weeks, depending on how the person's going with that antimicrobial treatment. And then um, we will retest to see if we're getting anywhere. If they're 90% improved, if they're feeling really good, we may not want to retest. We may want to save them the money, not retest and look at just maintenance and prevention. But if they're still experiencing symptoms, we want to check if the levels of gas is going down, but we want to actually check if they if the level of gas is completely gone down but they're still experiencing symptoms it highlights that there's something else going on so it's really important to do that retest and um from that what i generally do with people for maintenance dietary wise is i will still keep them on that phase two 
of the, and it's not, I don't personally find it too restrictive. It's a little bit paleo-like, yes, and, and you're removing those big trigger foods. But I get them to stay on that for probably a good three months after treatment and just check in, see how they're going, see if we need to add any, I definitely want to get to the point where we're adding more foods in that are going to really be um, fuel for the microbiome because we don't want them to be on these particular diets forever. Um, but it is important that we do prevent that relapse and that we're really supporting uh, digestive function and making a really smooth transition. Now, in the way of prevention, as you mentioned, definitely the migrating motor complex is something that we really need to support ongoing for a good up to six months, I would say, depends on the person. But the way in which we do that is we start to bring in uh, supplements called uh, prokinetics and, you know, uh, various prokinetics exist out there and, you know, ginger is one of them, but there's particular formulas out there. Um, even uh, there's a formula out there that you might be aware of called Iberagas, got various uh, supportive digestive herbs in there, um, but that acts as a prokinetic. And what prokinetics do is that really help to support the migrating motor complex complex so they, that cleansing wave it really helps to improve that function but the other thing i will say about improving the migrating motor complex is that the space between our meals is really important because the migrating motor complex works like every 90 uh, minutes and it works in a fasted state so allow for about four hours between meals so i don't advocate snacking especially when you're on a SIBO diet and especially for me, like for a few months afterwards, that fasting time in between meals is important because it just allows for um, the cleansing wave to work its thing, do its thing. Yeah, it's fascinating. And then, but also um, don't eat too late at the night time because we do have that big length of time after dinner where we've got loads of fasting time for our cleansing wave to work well. So, you know, finish up on your dinner, six o'clock if you can, you know, just allow for that good 12 to 13 hour um, space for your cleansing wave to work optimally. Um, so that's what I will say about the, the migrating motor complex. And you just want to remove anything that might be interfering with um, your production of hydrochloric acid. So proton pump inhibitors, you definitely want to speak to your GP about that. And any antacids you might have been um, popped on, not to just remove yourself off it, but just, you know, have a, have a protocol around either um, weaning off or, you know, discussing whether it's necessary. Um, and, you know, you just want to treat any sort of, diseases or anything that might be contributing to SIBO. So, you know, as I mentioned, you know, the hypothyroid or the issues with the pancreas and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, we do tend to add in a bit of digestive aids as well. So I tend to add in things that um, enzymes, if it's needed, um, you know, things that promote hydrochloric acid and, you know, and bile support and that sort of stuff. So those are the main things. There is that component of that, um, ileocecal valve so it's that little valve that sort of connects the small intestine to the large intestine and um you know it's to, we want to support that um so it doesn't that physical barrier so it does you don't have that backflow but it, it gets a bit complicated you just got to really nut out someone's case history to see what could be driving it if it is say for example a cesarean section or, you know, removal of the gallbladder, or they've had some sort of surgery uh, around their abdomen, 
they may have scarring or adhesions. And so there are various um, treatments like uh, visceral manipulation, which is like um, a massage to the abdomen to break down those scarrings and those adhesions. So there is a bit of a protocol where we, you know, we look at reducing the um, bacteria and the symptoms and then we look at, okay, well, we don't want it to return. Let's look at what could have driven this. Was it the food poisoning? Do we need to support the immune system, the migrating motor complex? Is it adhesions that it's possibly going on there? Do we need to look at um, that visceral manipulation with um, someone that does that kind of body work? Um, And do we need to support, you know, do we need to get you off certain medications that may be interfering with those uh, particular antibacterial components that we have in our body? that help to remove these bacteria. I hope that all made sense. Made <laughs> sense. I, yeah. I've got yeah, so many cool. questions. <laughs> oh, I know. It just opens up. Oh, so do I. I have heaps of questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was one pit, bit that you were saying when they're doing the antimicrobial treatment, um, how you at first just starving the bacteria and then you want to feed it a little bit. Um, someone asked, should you feed the bacteria during antimicrobial treatment with prebiotics, for example, or starve them? So there's a bit of confusion there maybe with her. Um, Uh, Look, I wouldn't do it with particular supplements. I would probably personally um, avoid the prebiotic sort of, um, you know, supplements. I would do it through the food. So do it through the biphasic uh, dietary food. And that's just incorporating it. You still want to kind of remove the onions and the garlic and those sort of ones that can be big triggers for people. But you have just prebiotic foods. Totally. And you're bringing in a bit more fruit, you're bringing in a bit more vegetables because remember, we were actually reacting to good food. So it's not like, yes, we're removing the grains and all those other things that have other, you know, adverse effects in the body, but we're actually just increasing the good food. And Mm. um, so, but we don't want to starve them completely because we want to be able to to kill them. So Mm. I wouldn't take, do it supplement wise. I'd stick to the dietary stuff Mm -hmm. um, in order to, um, and plus they're taking too much as it is. You know, you want to make sure that they don't have pill overload. Yeah, it gets expensive. (laughs) It's not necessary. It's a waste of money. And you give up because it's awful. You do. Take a bunch of stuff. You absolutely do. Rather treat things with food. Yes, and there's so much that can be done, and people will start to feel the difference already when they're like, "Actually, I do, I do feel better." But I won't say that that's always the case because Mm. everyone responds different. If you're kind of, um, you've now got a fungal overgrowth, then you're going to be experience experiencing symptoms and be feeling a little bit unwell you could feel great you could feel a little bit unwell you could have a return of some symptoms like it's not so black and white sadly it's just about really communicating with your health practitioner and saying okay well this is what's going on is it normal is this to be expected you know should we tweak the dosage do we need to titrate it do we need to move on to something else like can Mm. i add and the dietary stuff even like there is people that may react to um, cauliflower and others that don't. And so you really get to listen to yourself. I think the beauty with something like um, SIBO, it pretty much gives us our symptoms straight away. So if you, what one of the big um, symptoms, I guess, is um, bloating. And generally we bloat pretty quickly after a fibrous food for these people. You know, yeah. they'll feel it pretty quickly. So, so it's not, yeah, it's not like that sort of pr- uh, reaction to protein where it may happen three or four days after and you have no idea what you're reacting to. <laughs> so yeah. you got a little bit of an indication. Can, can I ask, you go ahead for one, and then I'll ask this question from yeah. Christina. 
Well, it's just a, such a um, difficult talk, topic to talk about because of those secondary problems that people have. Like, yeah. you see people being the secondary issue mostly. Like when people have, say, low thyroid, like you mentioned, mm. or they have, uh, you know, they're pre-diabetic or you know, whatever it is that's going on. Um, what's happening to people when you put them on a SIBO-specific diet? Do you see improvement in the other stuff at the same time? Or is this something yes. then you deal with later? Often, yes, definitely. Often you will find uh, other sort of symptoms resolve. Um, you know, maybe they're cyclic sort of issues where they had extreme cyclic pain or real like heavy moods and all the rest of it will start to reduce. You know, they're, they're um, especially neurologically, you know, uh, anxiety, because anxiety is a big symptom of SIBO. So oh. that will start to reduce and that sort of cognition and brain fog and all that sort of stuff. I mean, everything is interconnected, you know, the gut, the brain, the gut, the thyroid, all that sort of stuff. So yes, you are going to see a reduction, often, not always, a reduction in other symptoms. But I think, you know, sometimes it's just, okay, here we are at this point with your treatment. We've resolved the SIBO. We were on to maintenance now. Is there anything else going on that you want to work on, you know? Mm. Um, and I think it's just, yeah, look, I, I there is so much to gain from um, doing this kind of thing if it exists because, as I said, it just affects the way in which we uptake all the goodness in our foods, you know, mm. and the way that we remove bacteria and the way, you know, um, how it supports our gut lining and integrity. So all of those things when compromised are going to affect so many systems in our body. So, yes, I mean, often you will see you often you will see a resolution or even just a reduction in some other things. Right. That's really good because, um, you know, you get to kill two birds with one stone, which I, I really like that, you know. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's like, it's like that's why you, I believe that you, you need a health practitioner to look at it because even uh, myself, you just get caught up in what do I need to work on first? You know, what, what is important? What is the, what is the glaringly obvious thing that's going to probably have the most impact? So, you know, I've taken myself off to someone recently. It's like, I need someone else. I need to be the patient to say, Mm. this is where you need to start. This is where we're going to go. And then we'll just gauge where you're at. You know, I think it's really important not to, to just try to work it all out yourself because it just, you can can feel like you're doomed. (laughs) There's too much going on and you don't know where to start. Um. Can I ask this lady's question because yeah. I think she's feeling a bit like that because um, she's got all the FODMAPs and everything. She says, my biggest issue is motility. Without clearing it, there's no point bombing the baddies. I can't find a solution. Histamine is an issue and hormones. I backed off FODMAPs but, was, but wasn't told I needed them still, so it made it worse. Did a parasite SIBO cleanse with wormwood, increased FODMAP tolerance, added them slowly back in, but I think yeast is an issue as the cleanse made space for it to take over. It's forever frustrating. So I've yeah. read SIBO just comes back unless you change the environment of your gut. Um, so how do we make the gut environment inhospitable to SIBO growth? Yeah, it looks like she's done a lot of research on it, Yeah, you know. Um, she's, you know, the way that in which she's speaking about how the, you know, the fungal overgrowth can take over. Again, yeah. I, would, I would get someone, there is like, like the way that I like to work is very systematic. Mm-hmm. You know, we look at this and then we look at maintenance and prevention. Um, and you really, and sometimes we can't get to what the driver is, sadly. Sadly, we can't, you know. Sometimes, you know, on paper, taking their case history, like a really don't, quite get right now why this is happening for you you know so i think it's um 
and sometimes it's glaringly obvious. So I think working with the practitioner so they can look at the the fungal overgrowth they can look at certain supplements and certain lifestyle changes and stress related changes that you can do to support bowel movements because you know she wants to start feeling better too and not recycling Mm. the hormones and all the waste but there are certain things you can do outside of treatment absolutely you know whether it's um, breath work or you know vagal tone exercises or you know movements huge and so you know you you want to be I guess, coached by someone with what are the options and then um, you're absolutely restoring the state of the, the, the balance and the diversity in your gut with that flora. I don't know if so, I answered that question and it's hard well, to, to really yeah, answer well, that question if it's not it your patient. Sort of That's right, yeah. But with the FODMAPs issue, like so many people that we meet are told by their doctors to go on a FODMAPs diet. Do you think sometimes this happens um, when people actually have SIBO and they're sort of told, we'll just get off all the FODMAPs and that makes things worse? Is that? Well, it's, uh, I guess the one thing that these diets have in common, like the specific carbohydrate diet, the low FODMAP, the, um, the GAPS and the, you know, the, um, the what's the name, SIBO specific food diet and the biphasic, mm-hmm. is that they all have that reduction of carbohydrate. So that's going to benefit yeah. to some degree. Yeah. Yeah, but there is, I think with the low FODMAP, I don't think that it is enough for someone with SIBO because it still contains like oats and corn and quinoa. So it's got some grains and it's got some starches in there. And Mm -hmm. that, um, and those polysaccharides for one of the better word, they they can be quite aggravating for someone that does have SIBO. They're like fuel. So I just think it's, um, it, it needs a tweak. It's not the wrong diet, but it definitely does need a little bit of a tweak for the person that's that has SIBO. And that's, again, why I love the biphasic um, because it incorporates local FODMAP with the specific mm. carbohydrate and it's it's just tweaked. And again, you just want to look at if someone says, oh, well, I'm allowed to have this on the, the list, but I'm still reacting to it, take it out, you know, yeah. or, or if I'm right. actually okay with this. Yeah. If I'm, and, and exactly yeah. like really hone in. And, and that's the beauty, yeah. I guess, of um, working with people. Nothing gets me more excited when people really become aware of actually, mm. no, that doesn't feel good or yes, yeah. I can tolerate that. And I've been able to tolerate that and I never used to. So, you know, just really starting to gauge what, because we're not going to react. It's just a guideline. Like it really yeah, is. It. We just need to tweak same it. With gaps, same with anything. You've got to tweak totally. it to suit you. But yeah. with the motility issue, I think you said that um, you, you help people with that. Is, is there anything different that you would say to them if they're very constipated? Oh, there's lots. And, and I guess that's why I stumbled into SIBO because I uh, was specialising in constipation and, yeah. you know, lo and behold, SIBO, uh, you know, can those methane-dominant people can tend towards constipation. So then I was starting to see people that weren't actually getting better with the fibre that I'd recommended and all those sorts right. of stuff. And so, like, it, just, it was just inevitable that I went down this route. Um, but there's so many avenues to take with, with uh, constipation. I think, again, you've got to look at the drivers and, uh, you know, medication 
conditions, um, stress levels, if there's like a muscular or nerve issue, again, things like diabetes can interfere with the muscles and the nerves. Mm. Um, there's so many components that contribute to constipation, but there's certainly lots that you can do. It can just sometimes take a bit of detective work, especially when they've had it for a number of years, say 20 years, and they're going once every week or whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, you speak to people like my parents and they're like, well, my doctor says that I only need to go once a week and it's fine. That's, all, that's, nor- that's normal. I'm like, are you? I'm not even going to go there. You just believe what you want to believe. And- <laughs> I think I'd so, burst. <laughs> yeah, and I guess, I guess if some people just feel as though they, they've had it for so long and they don't, you know, they're not really aware of um, why it's important to go. They've forgotten. Yeah, (laughs) they've forgotten to go. Wouldn't you be so, so, um, like, just drowsy and exhausted and but they may not they may not make the connection and that is the thing but they may not make the connection that that the the inefficiency of removing waste and excess hormones they may not make the connection that that's actually interfering with my um hormonal health it's interfering with my brain function i'm feeling a little bit brain foggy i'm feeling a little bit depressed more frequently like i think people just don't make that often that connection between gut and brain and and everything like that and maybe more so now which is awesome but um like especially with the brain uh, broken brain docu series that's been out there. I mean that was yeah, gold when that came out. I'm like this is perfect for people just to really understand. Yeah, the- I haven't watched it, but it, I've heard that it's good. What is it's it? I, I it's called. It's um it's hosted by Dr. Mark Hyman and he's got people like Chris Cresser but also Datis Karazian who I absolutely love because he talks a lot about brain health and thyroid mm. health and especially vagal vagal um, health and um but the beauty of the Broken Brain series it's an eight part series but the beauty of it is that it just really um, drives home that the connections in all in you know in all of our systems and so mm. you know and and it empowers people that they can actually make a difference in their brain health in the mm. way of alzheimer's pre- prevention even just that. simple cognition supporting their gut function mm. like exercises they can do it's just great awesome. it is great <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally sounds really good Linda, you mentioned totally. the movement being such a big thing but that's pretty much where you left it at but can we talk yeah. about that <laughs> Oh, movement. Oh, I just think in in general, um, where do I start with movement? I think there's um, breath is extremely important for um, gut motility, I think. Um, And even in the way if I get a lot of people, a lot of my patients actually to do um, bagel tone exercises. And as I mentioned before, so yeah, uh, (laughs) it's fascinating again. Um, So Basically, the vagus nerve, to really simplify it, and I'm probably going to butcher it, is is that um, main parasympathetic nervous yeah. system that runs from the brain all throughout some organs and down into the you know the digestive system, and yeah. it really supports gut motility and um, and other things. You know, it helps to reduce stress and anxiety and all that sort of stuff. So I get a lot of people to do. And a really simple way that you can do it, because some of them are a little bit quirky, is um, if you <laughs> take a few moments, like in the morning, I try to get people to start with. If people don't like guided meditations or proper breath work, I get them to start with three or four breaths in slowly and a longer breath out because it's that breath out that really stimulates and uh, supports that vagus nerve. And when you think of the vagus nerve, it's that thing when the doctor 
gets you to open your mouth and say, ah, it's like behind the gangly bit. So, yeah, so that just breathing out is like a really supportive way to strengthen and tone the vagus nerve, which becomes weak when we're, um, and, and loses its tone we're in that, when we're in that sympathetic dominance for so long. We're constantly stressed, mm. we're maybe not sleeping well. The other ways that you can support the parasympathetic nervous system and synthetic dominance, and that is things like humming, gargling, mm. gagging, which I don't get people to do. I think it's just weird. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just... Yeah, so you can do the humming is is an easy one to do. Gargling is an easy one to do as well. Um, what other ways? I'm sure there's I'm sure there's loads that so, I'm forgetting. So to clarify to the listeners, the sympathetic nervous system is responsible for like fight or flight mode, where yes. you know you're in the stress kind of mode, and this usually used to only kick in for us when you know in acute time so like you know we needed mm. to run after prey or we're running away from predators or there's some kind of danger and we only spend a small percentage of our time there and the parasympathetic is rest and digest where people get to recover from uh, that kind of stressful time but we spent most of our time in that that space yes so um what you're saying here is that people who have SIBO or like um, any kind of uh, inflammatory uh, bowel issue, most of the time they're going to be spending it in kind of stress mode because their physiology. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, not always, but often. Yeah, often. Often. Right. Okay. Yeah. So then and, and, your, the breathing work is to bring them back to this kind of um, more restful that, stress. That rest and digest. Yeah, okay. Yeah, supporting reduction yeah. of the, the that sympathetic overdrive, but also okay. supporting digestive function. Okay. And we mentioned movement, and I think in general – exercise, um, you know, um, yoga, just moving the body is super important. And it doesn't need to be like slamming yourself at the gym, you know, an hour a day. It could, yeah. It could, if you like that or, or, the, yeah. or the, like go for I it, but I've, I get movement, <laughs> get movement throughout your day. Like the centenarians do, you know, get active yeah. in the kitchen, use your hands instead of equipment, you know, go for walks, go take your Hang business phone call. Yeah, totally. Take and stand and, and stand and sit during the day rather than just be seated at your desk. I think yeah. um, to think people are just going to stand for the entire day. I mean, I stand quite a bit. I stand when I do my consultations, but I don't stand for the entire day because I tend to get lazy with the way that I stand. I'll stand to one side and throw things out. So I think a combination for me personally and for others I've found I've is standing yeah. and sitting. Yeah, I you heard know. that with your posture it's best to have the variety of... Um, not just always like a, even a standing desk apparently can start to cause problems because you, yeah. like you, say, you get lazy with your posture. Totally. So. Too much and of um, changing it up. To, yeah, exactly. It up. Just move it, just movement. And I think, um, yeah. and also anything that sort of works the core and the spine is really supportive to improve bowel yeah. tone and bowel musculature. So it really supports the peristalsis. Um, so, you know, anything that's going to support the, the core and the, the spine, which is a lot of exercises. Um, yeah. Swimming is a good example of that. But just anything that's, just get movement in your day. You know, try not to mm. be sedentary. I think that's, it's not just um, the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take I think like brain health and where's your stress levels at and you know sleep and um movement is highly important to to really in fact I've got a patient who says if I don't sit down every morning because she's got two few young children if I don't sit down every morning and do my you know 10 minute guided meditation or whatever I don't go to to the toilet often so 
Yeah. So, and it just goes to show that a big driver for her poor motility is a sympathetic um, dominance. You know, is that stress response? Is that, you know? Um, Jump out of bed and get going. Crazy. Yeah. Which yeah. is not a friend of mine either. I mean, travel and, and running out the door is yeah. not a friend of mine when it comes to bowel movements. So I'm really aware of my triggers. So, you know, I think people really start to become a bit more aware of what sort of triggers them, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. Can I just ask, um, can you do the diet? And someone wanted to know, can you do the diet and not use the antibiotics and would it still work? No, the diet alone does not get rid of the SIBO. Right. Okay. Definitely not. Unless you're doing the elemental diet, that's a different story because it works just like an antimicrobial. Like in fact, okay. So you can yeah. take the powdered supplements. Yes. And- yeah. Oh. Which um, it, it's and that's a good good thing to bring up. Actually, the elemental diet during that time you wouldn't take additional antimicrobials with it because it has that antimicrobial right. action. It is starving the bacteria and feeding the host. Talk so. Yeah, yeah, but definitely the diet alone, the SIBO diet will not get rid of the, we definitely won't get rid of the driver, but it's mm. um, just going to be probably reducing some of the symptoms, but not really reducing a lot of the gas, um, yeah. not to the levels that you want it to be at where you can function sort of, you know, feeling great. I'm wondering, um, I'm a big fan of fasting. I just actually finished the four-day water fast. Yes, I listened to the podcast. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So, um, yeah. Wondering whether there's a um, is, there's room for something like fasting when it comes to SIBO because it sounds to me like if you do a fast um, and you're not actually feeding that bacteria, whether you're doing the elemental diet, which sounds, like the elemental diet sounds great so that people continue to get nutrition and be able to function throughout their day and go to work and do that kind of stuff. But if do you know of any science around fasting and SIBO, is it something that's uh, shown up? I don't think there's a lot. It's not something I particularly recommend to the people that I treat, but what I will say is, and especially, and one of the reasons that I I, um, don't do full fasting with people is that when we're taking some of these antimicrobials, you can probably feel a little bit off. Mm. And so sometimes you feel a little bit better when you're taking them around food or, you know, you're supporting other things in the body. So that's one of the reasons. Mm. Um, And I want to ensure as well, like I'm, I'm obviously I'm fascinated with bowel movements, but with, um, (laughs) I I want, I want there to actually be studies done on bowel movements during long-term fasting, because what I often find with people, and I could be very, very wrong. It could just be in a small group of people. And I haven't done any studies is that when some people fast they they don't often have, um, they often miss days where they go to the bathroom. And so I wonder if that's just my theory on it. Yeah, during the fast, where their bowel movement's slow, obviously the intake of food is, is um, has reduced. Well, there's nothing um, there to sort of eliminate. Oh, totally, That's yes. What, yeah. But the but the fasting thing, I, I will, mm. I definitely do like the idea of the restricted time feeding, and that is what mm. I do recommend. So you know, stopping dinner at an early hour yeah. and not eating till like nine or nine thirty. Yeah. Okay, I think so that is much more manageable for people. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know much about uh, low dose naltrexone and um, SIBO because I've I've heard that it's being used to in- increase motility. Um, yes. Whether this is something that uh, in Australia is being looked at at all or what's, what's your view on it? Uh, look, definitely it's used as a prokinetic and it's used to, and it's actually uh, meant to be really effective. It's not something I've used, low-dose mm. naltrexone, but I think who's the person that's done quite a lot of studies on it? 
There's a guy that's dedicated um, quite a bit of time on research in the low-dose naltrexone because it's, it's not only used to see, but there's many other reasons for it. But certainly as a prokinetic and supporting the uh, migrating motor complex, um, it's supposed to be great. It's not, but again, it's not something that I use currently, but never say never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those um, medications because it's not actually being used to treat uh, drug addictions, which is the the labeled use of it, it's kind of very hard to get any science or studies on it because it's kind of a generic drug now and no one's going to make money off it. But everywhere I look around um, SIBO, there's mentions of low-dose naltrexone, which... Yes. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, it would be good to if you had heard about it or if you've used it, but if you do in the future, I'll see if I can find out some information yeah. for you and I'll flick you an, an, an email with, cause I'm oh, sure okay. that Alison would have, would have, um, you know, looked into that a little bit further and no doubt I'll come across that. The, the more I dig a bit deeper and see by myself, okay, you know, great. it's forever evolving. Yeah, for sure. But, um, yeah, it's interesting though, like looking at these particular um, pharmaceuticals with a different set of eyes, because as a naturopath, I obviously always try to go for the natural antimicrobials and those natural things first, because they don't just treat SIBO. They're also antifungal, they support the immune system. And so there's so many reasons to go for that first, mm-hmm. but actually looking at things like rifaximin with a fresh set of eyes and go, okay, you know, yeah. all antibiotics are not evil. Like this has a purpose and, and yeah. this is actually not harmful to the body. So this I can digest and this I'm not afraid to, you know, recommend to people. So, mm. yeah, things like low-dose naltrexone, it's like, yes, I'm open to looking into that a little bit more and, you know. We did a good episode with Linda Elskin yeah. on it from the LDN. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, maybe have a listen to that one. It's definitely really fascinating because it's completely different mm. to like the full-dose stuff and it just yep. works by, um, you know, upgrading the body's ability to fight inflammation and, uh, it's just some incredible stuff. If we, and the science is there, but it's not really popular at the moment. So, yes. You know, mm. See some advancements in that area. No doubt. Yeah. It's just, um, yeah, stuff coming up all the time. Absolutely. Joe, do you have any more questions? Yeah. Or, um, yeah. One lady says, I've just finished treatment for SIBO. I still have my reflux symptom of a burning throat. I'm thinking it's the lack of stomach acid as a cause. Will apple cider vinegar help? Oh, again, I'd probably look at fungal overgrowth. I'd probably look okay. at um, other things that might be going on. Um, mm. Apple cider vinegar, oh, I don't know. I'd probably, if she's, hopefully she's still seeing a practitioner in this maintenance mm. um, stage, I'd probably, you know, get her onto some maybe maybe some digestive enzymes, but I'd definitely yeah. look at what's going on uh, if there's any other symptoms that indicate that there might be an overgrowth of fungus in the body. Mm-hmm. And if there's an overgrowth of fungus after you've done the SIBO treatment and diet and everything, would that be more of a thing you sort of work on the yeast, sort of the candida diet? Yes. Or that's yeah, I mean, definitely, the di- again, the diet's a big component of that. You don't want to be getting too much of this, you know, sugars and the starches and that sort of thing yeah. with candida. But you'd want to get onto some antifungals, some herbal yeah. antifungals or, right. yeah. Be your natural <laughs> and yeah, and you want to also look at because the, the fiddly thing. I know I'm 
conscious of the time too. I feel like I'm waffling on. But no, the, right. the, the, right. the candida side of things is that they, they're prone to having biofilm and so, um, yeah. and that's that matrix sort of thing that sort of yeah. lives outside of the, you know, bacteria and then it's, 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 we need to break through that in order to get rid of what's underneath. Yeah. And so you want to make sure that you're eradicating uh, things like candida and fungus well and you break, you're using biofilm disruptors and stuff like that. I guess it's like you were saying, it's where do you start? You figure out which one to start with and then as you work through, you may have to work on another issue and totally all yep. <laughs> so Yes, totally. You know, support the immune system. <laughs> how can people find a good practitioner to help them with all this? Like where would you suggest, like if someone doesn't live in your area, where and, do you tell them to look? And also feel free to plug yourself here because I'm... Yeah, I'm, go ahead. I'm, yeah, yeah. Happy I to plug myself. Well, or if well, you I actually, <laughs> well, I predominantly work via Skype. And, okay, cool. uh, and FaceTime so I can see people all, all throughout Australia. Um, yeah. But if you jump on SIBOinfo.com, uh, Alison Seebecker's website, she, I think she's got a section on there that's got um, uh, find a practitioner. Or cool. So if you're looking for someone to um, who specialises or is very familiar with SIBO, then I'd jump on there because there are some international Australian people that... Um, you know, that, that are listed on there. So if someone wants to see a person in the flesh, then yeah, absolutely. Mm. Otherwise, feel free to, they can always But I mean, you don't me. really have to, do you? I mean, it's easy enough to use Skype these days. And oh, it's, them. yeah, look, it's, yeah. it's convenient, absolutely, for a lot of people. I think the only disadvantage <laughs> for some is that some uh, health funds don't um, provide rebates oh. for Skype consults at the oh, moment. Really? But I think that that is um, changing. So I think... You know, you need to see, they would like for you to see the the patient in the flesh once and then you can jump on Skype or FaceTime or whatever. But if you've started off seeing someone, Skype and mm. FaceTime, then you may not get that rebate. I don't yeah. see that to be a problem, to be honest. Lots of people, if yeah. they just, they have connected with you and they're ready to just do the work, I don't see them to have an issue with that. It's just the odd few that, you know, obviously you, mm-hmm. you pay those um, rates for a reason and you want to be able to get something back. But yeah. Hopefully that'll yeah. change. I think it will. I just have one more question from a reader. Yeah. Um, she just sent it through now and she's like, am I too late? So I said, quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, she said, I've had chronic diarrhea for a number of years and I've tried all the current healing diets under the guidance of my naturopath and I'm also trying, now trying SIBO. I have cortisol levels that are off the Richter scale. Any thoughts? <laughs> ah, well, again, I'd um, see if she does have SIBO. So she said that she's, she's trialling SIBO. She's, has she been tested? Um, um, is she on the diet? Where okay. she at? Have you been tested? Has she been tested? And also she had like a comprehensive stool test to see if there's anything in the large intestine because that's what the stool test uh, tests. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it'd probably be a little bit more complicated, but it sounds like, mm. you know, she's looking at the the things that it could be. Yeah. So that's a good start. But again, it's it's really it's really hard to answer those questions. Yeah. Because when it can be caused for it. Yeah. And that's the yeah. shitty thing about SIBO mm. though, that yeah. the symptoms itself could be anything like it it could be it could be anything you know so very similar to ibs very similar to gastroparesis like there's so many conditions that could present with these digestive and neurological symptoms so you know how much does the test cost 
Uh, the test is actually only from memory about, I tend to just do the lactulose. Um, there's different tests that you can do, the lactulose and the glucose and the fructose, but generally um, you can get away with just doing the lactulose because it does mm-hmm. the, um, the whole small intestine and the glucose just does the upper half. And so sometimes when you get the lactulose test back and it's negative but you're still not convinced, you still think there might be a SIBO going on, then you can do yeah, the glucose to make sure. But it's around about, I think, in in total with freight and all that sort of stuff, about 220. So it's not horrendous for the yeah. lactulose, um, but it can save you money long-term just throwing things at whatever's going on and trying to yes. band-aid treat it. So, Okay. All right. She didn't... Podcast of your own. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and what yeah. kind of stuff you talk about there while we wait? Oh, what was that? Oh, my podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hasn't happened yet. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. oh okay. No, it's, it's okay. definitely, um, well, it's going to be called, um, I'm hoping no one's got this name, Love and Guts. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> I, did, I didn't want to just be um, doing gut health. I, obviously, it's a big part of what I do, but I love anything to do with brain health and mindset. So um, I'm going to bring on selfishly the people that I recommend to my patients. And, uh, you know, when it comes to, say, for example, if I could get Dati's Karazian on, Jesus Christ, that would just be fantastic. Um, but I am getting a guy on who, um, who's fantastic with vagal tone uh, work. So that's exciting. And, um, yeah, just looking at mindset, looking at gut health, um, yeah, so it hasn't actually happened yet, but it will happen. Hopefully, I'll have it launched by mid-February. Oh, so go for it. Well, thanks for a, thanks yeah. for plugging that. No, that's all right. Because <laughs> yeah. I've, seen, I've seen that you um, you had that in your email signature, and I'm also was checking out your blog and looking at yeah. what you have written there. Because if you go to uh, www.lindagrupperich, is that how you say it? Yes, so, perfect. That's <laughs> blog. Linda's got a whole bunch of uh, really excellent <laughs> blog posts there that you can uh, check it out and also links to previous podcasts that she's done so yeah, uh, yeah go have, have a look okay. there but is that that's also where they find you if they want to book you in for an appointment yes or, yeah? yeah you can okay. you can book it in online or just send me an email if you've got any questions and just all my social platforms like instagram and facebook people people just get connected through various ways these days yeah. don't they yeah. so however you feel just get in contact. If you we'll want. put some links in the show notes to all yeah. these things as well, and uh, so that people can actually get in touch with you. Because I think a lot of people will be uh, super interested to talk to you. I really mm-hmm. love this podcast with you because you got you're oh, really you. comprehensive, and you yeah, have right. this uh, like it's not a one size fits all kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it never is. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's really refreshing, and it's really good to uh, see how much clarity you have around it. Uh, despite the fact that it is a very vague kind of topic in terms of uh, oh, yeah. the difference <laughs> between every individual. Um, yeah. yeah but it still gives from... such a – I think you've given a really good overview yeah. so that people can go, okay, now I know what I need to do next. Yeah. Yes, and that there is a systematic approach yeah. to it. And I think that's the biggest thing. It just needs to be tweaked for you as an individual. But there mm. is, there's, a, there's a way to get on top of it. That's right, yeah. yeah. So is your yeah. uh, schedule available for all our, all our listeners to be uh, harassing you over the next few Totally. Go hard. Absolutely. Fantastic. And, yeah, look, I look forward to hearing your um, travels with the fasting. I'm yeah. so fascinated by it. Yeah. 
Sam, I'm really excited. April. If you're happy to share your your experience with bowel movements, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't know, actually, <laughs> he has. My digestion. Has been oh, you have. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, no yeah. problem. Because I Maybe think, I should get you guys on to talk good. about that. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> my my digestion's become so much better since I fasted. Yeah. Just... And I think, to be honest, for me, like I, I, I um. It, it scares me to a degree, not scares me, oh, yeah. but I have a, um, when, you know, years ago when I was a teen, I had an eating disorder. And yeah. so the idea of starvation, like for me, it's not starvation, yeah. but I see that form of control, like it's for, and not in myself, but with, you know, also other yeah. people just having that mindset around food and that control over food. Yeah. I would much rather someone be doing the restricted diet where they you know they're fasting overnight for a longer period of time than going without for days because then they're like well the only way that i can get to this weight or to this health is by fasting for 10 days so i'm very conscious of people's mindset and mental health around that sort of stuff but again it's probably just stuff that i need to get over yeah i I think it's really with the fasting um you have to have a the correct approach to it mentally so for me it was about being with it throughout the whole process not really sort of uh, neglecting the fact that i'm fasting and going oh i'm just waiting until the fourth day comes and then i'll be lighter and healthier and all that no it it was throughout the whole process i was really tuning into my body listening to what it had to say Mm. Uh, so it really fostered a really good dialogue instead of uh, you know having it thought to be like some kind of starvation. No, it reestablished. Yeah. The and there's the numerous theory. benefits. Yeah. I mean, they keep coming out. So sure. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But no, we'll definitely, definitely, definitely love to hear more about your journeys with it. No, that's course, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Linda, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. Um, I think uh, we probably get a, a whole heap of questions. Uh, <laughs> From this podcast, we'll just send them to you. Them to oh, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, thank you so much for having me on on the posts no, on social media, great. so that you can uh, address the questions yourself and uh, you can create yeah. some relationship with, with our followers as well. So, thanks for having. Thank Would love to. Would love to. And thanks so much for having me on. And by the way, I am enjoying life changing food. We oh, were uh, we were gifted one from Marcus Pierce, and uh, oh, you know okay. anyone that has cabbage and bacon in there in one of their dishes, I love. <laughs> That's the European background coming out. Yeah. I didn't realize you were a friend of Marcus's. There you go. Yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> Beautiful. That's awesome. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. We've been we've been needing these questions up answered for a long time, so we really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for letting me talk about it all. <laughs> all right. Well, Chat to you soon. Thanks a lot. Bye. Speak to you later. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.